it was just a no big deal for me to come home from school and see like, you know, McGrath and all these guys parked down the side of my house and shit and going out and finding them in the hills. Or, you know, I remember one year Pastrana came out, there was like this tire double in the back of the hills. And I, I shit you not, every single day I came home, someone came to my house, some pro racer and was like, take me to the tire double. I heard about this crazy tire double and I must've went to this tire double a thousand times this one season, John and Pastrana or Dana came out and Pastrana and they're like, take us to that jump. And I remember I took him to that jump. I must've hit it like four or five times. And then I'm like, all right, see you guys later. And I rode home because I was so burnt out that, you know, here's like Pastrana. He's just like, this phenom and here's Dana of crusty demons of dirt, but it was no big deal for me to go film with those guys or ride with those guys because it happened every single day. And I always look back on that. Like how, what a crazy, what a crazy place I was in where I was just like, all right, see you guys later. I'm going to go home and do absolutely nothing while you guys are out here filming, making, you know, crusty six or seven, whatever it is. But it was just, that was just like, you know, that's what, that's all I knew. It was just like tomorrow, you know, another group of guys are going to come out and we're going to go out and film. And, you know, it it's just crazy. I, I always remember that day because of that. G'day everyone, it's Steve Summerfeld here, your host for the Riders Lounge podcast, and I'm stoked you've made it back for a brand new episode, or if it's your first time, then I'm even more pumped to reach new fans of action sports. If this is your first time here, you're in for one hell of a treat, as I've managed to get a really in-depth chat with a legend of the sport of freestyle motocross and fellow podcaster, Doug Punkrock Parsons. This episode is brought to you by Rothaus Tannen Zepfler range of beers, the best damn tasting beer you will ever come across. And of course, they're based in Germany, the land which is so synonymous with producing the best tasting beers around the world. And why wouldn't they be? Rothaus themselves have been brewing since 1791. That's a hell of a long time to master your craft and continually produce some awesome ranges of beer, including the Tannen Zepfler and Tannen Zepfler alcohol-free beers. And I can tell you, as I'm producing this episode right now, I'm tasting all that effort that's gone into this 330ml bottle of beer. I also want to thank my personal sponsors who have helped me throughout my riding career. Lakes Networking, where Jason, the boss of it, basically told me to sell my bike and not break any more bones. But since I wasn't going to stop freestyle, he decided it would be best to just make my life as easy as possible by getting me completely set up with all of my computer, IT and mobile needs to live this awesome life. Also, Custom MX Graphics, based out of southeast Queensland, pretty much between Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Motorex Oils, DE Pipes, GB Orthopedics, Race Effects, and TCX Boots. If you haven't already, make sure you check out the live streaming I've been doing on the Night of the Jumps Facebook page, with brand new content coming out from the new TIMX This Is Motocross mobile game. While we're getting the top 16 riders ready for the new... E FMX World Championships, 
I've been casually playing for hours online and live streaming it at the same time. I'm still not sure when I can call myself a pro gamer, but I'm definitely working on it with my new gold VIP membership and getting to unlock so many trick levels and getting so many bike upgrades so much faster. If you haven't already checked out the gameplay, head over to the Night of the Jumps Facebook page, but I'll also be doing some special gameplay on the Riders Lounge Facebook page as well. So jump on, drop your comments while I'm playing because I can see them all as I'm going through on the game and there's been plenty of good banter with players and fans from all around the world. Actually, most of the time, I think they're just trying to put me off so I make mistakes while I'm playing and then they can try and beat me while I'm distracted. So let's get to the main meal of this episode. I was actually listening to a podcast about my next guest on the Racer X marketing podcast and I learned so much about Doug punk rock Parsons than I had ever known before. When I listened to that podcast, there was actually this feeling that Parsons was this guy who was freaking awesome at freestyle motocross, but he had this entrepreneurial vision to help change the sport and he just made it happen. Now, I'm not good at freestyle motocross, not that good, but it did resonate with me a hell of a lot with what I've done in the past. I was never going to win any X Games gold medals, but I always had some harebrained schemes to keep myself involved in the sport in other ways so I could always avoid getting a real job. So that's why I wanted to get Doug on this podcast and go deeper into his projects, including the creation of the Ride to the Hills TV series, which I would have watched over and over just countless times. And also, he was actually behind the very first quarter pipe that was ever built. And that's now basically become one of the major draw cards at X Games in the motocross discipline. He was there building the first wall rides. He was writing for ESPN and X Games. He was writing there and writing for the magazines as well. Punk Rock has done it all. And he was even a librarian of all things. But I'll leave that for Doug to explain why a little bit later in this podcast. And he has even picked up an Emmy for his work in the huge freestyle motocross documentary film, Unchained. If you haven't already watched Unchained, you can find it on Netflix right now. At least in Europe, I've seen it on there. Hopefully it's on all around the world as well. But there's so much more to the man who retired early from freestyle motocross because of the damn backflip being a huge mental game. And also how punk rock fell in to a spiral of drug addiction. Doug is now focused on producing his own podcast series called The Moto X Show. And even though sometimes I stuff up the title, which I did at the start of this, I've really been digging his series, catching up with some big names in the motocross world and all sorts of topics. So make sure you head on over there, pick up some different podcast moto content and subscribe to get some more from his podcast as well. This episode is a little bit longer than most, but you'll find out exactly why, because the stories just kept getting so much more interesting and at times unbelievable. If I could have had an extra two hours, I would have loved to have picked Doug's brain just that little bit more. No, either way, no, I'm, I'm stoked that you've... Um You've joined on and, and wanted to jump in and do a podcast with me. Like I said, I've been listening to a bunch of your podcasts um, on the motocross show and it's just awesome to hear like from your perspective 
from years and years and years ago and you've got this background info as well on on those riders in the old days so no it's cool i'm i'm stoked you joined in yeah thanks for having me uh you're probably like the first or second person that's asked me to do a podcast so i'm stoked (laughs) oh come on surely others want to as well uh i i did the racer uh racer x marketing podcast but other than that surprisingly i'm usually the one calling people to do the podcast so it's cool uh maybe because it's still kind of new in in motocross and freestyle maybe that i don't know like i i heard actually it was my friend in australia put me onto your podcast with racer x he's like oh you've got to listen to this um punk rock's done this because like we're both huge fans of old school freestyle he's like yeah you got to listen to it and that was one hell of an insight you have covered so much stuff in freestyle motocross that i had absolutely no idea about until about a month ago and then actually i just listened to your latest podcast with greg godfrey and you kind of in your own podcast spoke a bit more about those things because he almost turned into basically the guy doing the interviewing at one point he was asking you questions so that was really cool but um i mean for the the guys listening now you've done everything you've uh you're involved in a hell of a lot of things, but I, th- I wanted to start off with freestyle motocross because that's why we're here. Where did the story start with Doug Punk Rock Parsons? <laughs> well, thanks for the compliments. And uh, <laughs> it pretty much, it started from growing up out in Ritchie Canyon. I think I moved out there in uh, 1987. And when I first moved out there, I had a three-wheeler ATC 70 and I'm not sure what happened to that, but um, maybe it broke or it got we sold it. I'm not sure. But there was a brief period where I didn't uh, have anything to ride. And I had these neighbors move in next door to me. And I just remember always borrowing their Fat Cat 80 and going out in the hills and riding. And then... <laughs> uh, That's cool. Yeah. Eventually, my parents got like uh, an air-cooled KX60 and that's kind of how it started like right around 1987 and just growing up i i rode out in the hills for about three years before i even knew what a race was and um that's that's basically where it started but just growing up out Man. in the canyon just kind of that was like the seeds of you know all this freestyle and free riding you grew up in basically everybody's dreams right in an area that would be everyone's dreams like right oh. What I would do if I could live there would be yeah. unbelievable. And and you know what's crazy is uh, it didn't really it hasn't really gotten that popular until just recently with you know guys like Vinny Carbone and those guys going out in the hills building stuff. It was for the longest time Richie Canyon was like really only where ra- like hardcore racer pros went to like to either play ride or train, and it was a really long time before, you know, now Richie Canyon is like, it's just, everyone knows about it. Everyone wants to ride there. But I remember when I first started doing freestyle, I would beg guys like Twitch and everyone to come out and ride. And no one really wanted to come out because for whatever reason, I don't know if they thought maybe it was going to suck or maybe it was too gnarly or just, I don't know. But I know for the longest time it was, it was a pulling teeth to get people to come out and, really Um, yeah like so it wasn't really that popular you know other than the crusty videos and all those taking place 
it was kind of hard to get the word out, but now it's just, it's completely blown out. <laughs> That's so funny because I have known the name for 20 years after watching Krusty videos. Like, well, just explain them. Where exactly is Richie Canyon? Like, where are you? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's in an undisclosed location. Yeah. Okay. So there's the first problem. <laughs> yeah. And you gotta, you gotta have the password to get in and yeah. there's three gates and they're all locked and no, it's, it's in the Inland Empire. I don't want to blow it out too much more, but it's, uh, it's basically it's in the Inland Empire in San Bernardino. What state are we talking? California. Okay. So then it's like, in I'm the trying to put spot. the pieces to. I'm trying to put the pieces together here that you said it's in California. All the big boys are in California, the ones that want to go big, um, but it was still pulling teeth to get them out there. Like, surely right. it can't be that hard. Well, was this, it just that gnarly? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what it was. I don't, you know, back in this, this time period, like right around 2002, 2003, um, guys were just focused on riding freestyle contests and hitting ramps. So it wasn't really, not that many people were like free riding that much. And I remember I just got really burnt out on riding contests every weekend. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm going to go back out in the Hills. I'm going to do up a bunch of the old jumps. And this, this was right around the time that, um, uh, well, I think it was ride to the hills. So prior to ride to the hills, I started free riding a whole bunch more and yeah, um, trying to get guys to come out. Guys like Matt Biden and Jesse Olson, a bunch of those guys were always down. But it just seemed like for whatever reason, it was harder to get like Feist and Deegan and Twitch and all those guys to come out. They eventually did come out and you know do a lot of riding. But for the longest time, I just remember like always calling them like, "Come out and ride, come out and ride." So. Do you think then, is it because like, okay, it started with Krusty and then freestyle motocross became its own monster, um, you know, from 2000 to 2006, 8, 10, whatever. They were just so focused on freestyle. Maybe they just like, no, we've got to learn crazy, stupid tricks now. We can't be out there busting ankles and wrists on on a snotty jump or, or something like that. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's what it was. You know, guys were focused on uh, contests. Those are what were paying the bills. And I was kind of already seeing the writing on the wall and stuff. So I was I was just thinking, like, what what could I do that I really enjoy? If I'm not going to yeah. chase the flip, uh, I'm going to go back to what who I am. And that's, you know, riding out in the hills and try to yeah. figure out a way to, to do that. But, yeah, I think guys were just, you know, they saw it as a more of a, a risk getting hurt injured riding in the hills when they've got these huge contracts to to do gravity games and x games you know and they're probably just trying to be smart i can definitely understand that i did basically i was never that good with natural terrain like i'd play around but uh, i always kept thinking like oh, i really don't want to hurt myself out here because i'm probably going to be off for six months and there goes a few paychecks but i think we, we've kind of skipped forward a little bit here because i was wondering more about your freestyle motocross career like when did you start actually getting into freestyle comps and doing shows how did that come about so i i was a racer for you know since I think 1990 was when I first started racing. Um, 
did all the amateur nationals, won a couple championships, I think at World Mania in the intermediate class. Uh, Almost won Loretta's in the 250A class, Nick Way and I. He won the first moto, I won the second. We went into the third moto tied. I got the whole shot and somewhere mid-race. He got by me and I stuck right behind him and it was... That was probably like the best I had ever ridden. And <laughs> so like racing was always like on the forefront. That's what I was going to do. And then I had a, a series of three pretty serious injuries in a row, right as I was trying to start my supercross career. And in 2001, after the fifth round of supercross, I was like, I'm either going left and staying with racing or I'm going right and I'm going to do freestyle because I had always done freestyle on the off season. I had ridden contests. And so I kind of had most of the tricks down and I did a couple contests and I made like two or three grand. And I just remember thinking like, dude, this is who I really am. I'm a, I'm a freestyle guy because growing up out in the hills, I've always filmed. I always like everyone came to my house and parked. Like it was, that's that's really who I was. So in 2001, I um, started riding freestyle motocross, and that it just the floodgates opened from there. Like I instantly got on Mark Burnett's tour, and I did a whole bunch of shows, and it just seemed like I always was getting on all the good shows. I I qualified for X Games like seven times just that whoa you know nice (laughs) yeah so it was it was that's kind of how it started like my racing career was was pretty much done and i knew that there was no way i was gonna make it racing at the point where i was so freestyle kind of just it was there and it was just kind of a natural uh progression to, to switch to that and that's pretty much you know where my road went left instead of right definitely what what would have happened if you went left what could have happened like you were racing against or you could have potentially been racing against some of the biggest names that we've known in the last 20 years and you turned right what do you think well i i don't think i would have lasted that much longer because i was i wasn't really that focused on racing um having you know, one year I, I broke my wrist and the next year I tore the ligament off my thumb and had surgery. And then the next year I dislocated my other wrist and had pins and I was out like six months. So my confidence was at like an all time low, my everything that, you know, I had lived for up until that point was pretty much done. And I, I would have had to have gotten my confidence back to an all time high I would have had to be in really good shape and I would have had to go out there and had some really good races and probably like worked my way up to a privateer team and, you know, and, and progress from there. But I mean, it's so tough, as you know, racing is it's, you know, it's, you got to have a ton of support and resources outside of what, you know, internally you have. Exactly. So at that point, you were still just turning up to the races on your own right? Uh, money and, in, uh, you know, pulling your bike out of the van or out of the back of the truck, basically. You were you were pushing for it. You were trying to get that privateer shot, but you were still on your own, basically. Right. Yeah. In 99, I had that was my best year race in Supercross. I think um, my best finish was a seventh. I had some a bunch of top tens and yeah. it, it was it was looking good, but um 
part of the way through the series, I crashed and that's when I tore the ligament off my thumb and I finished the series. But when I got to outdoors, I couldn't hold on. And that's when I went back to the doctor and he's like, oh man, your, your ligaments hanging off your bone. You need to have it pinned. So it, you know, I, I had the potential for sure, but I just, it was, you know, I was doing it on my own and it's pretty tough. That's crazy. So you had your family support, I guess they, your mum and dad have been behind you if you, as you were racing or, you know, coming up as a youngster and always on the bike. What did they think when you decided to say, no, nah, this is not for me? Um, my mom wasn't really, she never really was a part of my racing. She, her and my sister rode horses. So they always did their thing. And my dad and I did our thing and um, damn horses yeah yeah yep. and, uh, <laughs> so don't mix motorbikes and horses just don't mix yeah so um and at this point like when i turned 16 i started going to the races by myself and so my dad would he would show up at supercrosses and stuff but i was kind of doing my own program and um towards this point i think he was just like letting me do my thing he he was busy with work and stuff and and when I started to talk to him a little bit about uh, making the switch to freestyle, I mean, you got to remember at this point, freestyle had only been a couple years old and all he had ever known was racing. And it was yeah. really, you know, at this point, the guys that went from racing to freestyle were the guys that couldn't make it racing. So in his <laughs> mind, you know, it wasn't, he, he just didn't see it. And even after I showed him a couple of the paychecks that I was making, he, he didn't, I honestly, I don't think he thought anything of it. He just thought it was yeah. something that I found and in a couple of weeks, it'll be all gone. And, you know, but at that time, that's absolutely possible. Like it could have been a storm and a teacup and it could have just finished the next year. And that was it. Like, I don't know. I mean, to us, for me, freestyle, of course, was going to be huge, but nobody knew back then. Right. Still have to have the right support. So maybe yeah. I, I can understand his thinking behind it, but uh, I guess once you got into freestyle though, and, you, and then you really started to get into the comps and all the X games invites, I'm guessing he came on board then. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I think um, at that point it was so foreign to him that he was just like uh, just watching it as, as it went down and he, he for sure, he supported me no doubt. And, uh, I just think it was just so different than what was the norm of how you made money riding a dirt bike and stuff. And, you know, once I got, you know, some serious sponsors and I had done it over and over again. And, you know, I, and this was also the first time I actually was making a living riding a dirt bike prior to this racing, I made yeah. a little bit of money, but for the most part, I'm paying for my entries. I'm paying for my gas. I'm paying for everything. And now I've got guys that are paying me to, you know, fly someone sign <laughs> autographs or, you know, they, they, they take your bikes and they pay for your flights and your hotels and they give you uh, a day rate. So it, it was sign me up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I saw it. I, I always knew it was going to be big and I was just stoked that I was able to still be riding too. So it was, you know, that's, it was, that's kind of where everything was playing out at and for the most part i you know he was just stoked to see me still you know being able to make it riding 
That's awesome. So let's talk about the X Games then. Like you've had seven invites to X Games. Uh, tell us about your best memories from that. Um, X Games was great. Um, I just remember, I just remember the first year. I think at Philly, just showing up and you know, I remember watching Carrie Hart do the backflip um, on my computer that <laughs> I, I don't even think I had DSL at the time, high speed internet. It was, I remember it took 45 minutes. DSL, for, man, back right. then, what was DSL? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it took like 45 minutes to load the, <laughs> the clip, which was maybe 15 seconds. And I just remember sitting there watching it over and over and over again. And at this time I'm healing from one of my injuries. I'm sitting at home and I just, I just remember like seeing freestyle at X games and gravity games and thinking like, damn, I want to do that. And so showing up to X games in, in Philly was just kind of surreal. You know, I was yeah. here I am, you know, never in a million years did I think I would still be riding a dirt bike, especially at this event that I like held in such high regards as far as coming from Richie Canyon and being, you know, someone that filmed and was doing free riding in the Hills from day one. So it was, it was cool. The courses were huge, but yeah. they, it was, it was kind of right up my alley. There were more dirt hits. I remember, um, what year are we talking? Uh, this is actually 2001. I think I said 99 Whoa. maybe. But this is 2001. Damn. That's a long time ago. That was, I hadn't even started freestyle in 2001. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was doing little tricks here and there on the farm on my, uh, I think I had a Suzuki RMZ, uh, no, RMX 250, like the Enduro model right. Suzuki that they had. Uh, yeah. That was the best I could get that I could, well, convince my dad to let me buy to chase cows around but i was yeah. doing heel clickers and supermans at that stage far out you're already at x games yeah yeah well i mean l luckily i had that racing background and also for two years prior to that i had done some freestyle contests i did the lxd contest which was paul tabley's series and i had yeah. even though i got last or around last place i still had made some points so in 2001 when i officially made the switch i was really fortunate that those points carried over and huh. so i you know luckily for me i qualified my first year and 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 having that racing background behind me coming over i think it earned me a lot of respect in some regards so um you know I had that going for me and that definitely helped me qualify for the X games. And, and of course I had to qual back then you could qualify for, for X games. So, you know, I still put myself in that position to, yeah. to qualify. Well, I don't think I've even heard of an X games qualifier for about 10 or 15 years. Not anymore. Just, you just got to be part of the big boy club. And if you're not, right, phew, there's, there's almost no chance. Like, after that Willie Watts incident, um, yeah, it's pretty hard to to get in. So Willie Watts, who's that? Uh, isn't he the one that turned up and did two dead sailors? Um, they went, ooh. Oh, was he gonna... supposed to do a front flip or something maybe? Or I something? can't remember what he was going to do. Um, and I'm probably getting even the name wrong. I hope I yeah. haven't. 
but uh, if I remember correctly, this is like 10 years ago. Yeah, and, yeah. I think and he, was, I... he was supposed to do something that was so gnarly and, man, I guess <laughs> fear, which everybody has, uh, got the better of him and it was like this biggest thing and or they made it into the biggest thing. Right. For me personally, I was like, fuck, like all these guys are going so nuts. Like who cares? Like if one dude's just gone, nope, not today. I don't feel like tasting dirt. Like, is that not the smartest option anyway? But anyway, um, yeah, there's definitely no qualifiers. That's for sure. So I wish, I wish that was a possibility again, like for young guys now to, to have that shot. And, um, cause you know, there's so many guys out there in freestyle motocross that you just don't even know. Like there could be a world champion that we just don't know of, or an X games champ that no one's heard of right but yeah. uh yeah i mean uh so how did you get the punk rock uh nickname like where did, um, that must have been in the same time because all i've ever known is doug punk rock parsons right yeah and i actually i i i wish i would have never <laughs> i hate that nickname i think we all no hate way and, yeah. and here i am just throwing it out there no no it's all good a lot of people that's that's <laughs> That's what they they know me by. But basically, we were in the throes of freestyle motocross, and Metzger was talking one day. We were all talking, and he we were like, you know, freestyle was on every you know ESPN show. All our qualifiers were televised. Like we were in magazines. Yeah. Like we were like the sport was popping, and we were like, what can we do to make the sport better? And we were like, well, you know, we need to have WWE characters, and we need to like. Oh, really. <laughs> Yeah, because a lot of people were like, you know, you guys need to have personalities, need to have characters. And so we were kind of like talking about it at one event. And I remember Cameron Steele used to always call me Sweet Dougie on the mic. And I absolutely hated that name. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. And (laughs) so I I remember after this one contest, I rode up to the, the... announcing tower and i went up and i grabbed the mic out of his hand and i i was just like sweet dougie's dead it's punk rock parsons from now on and that really that was it that's how it stuck but yeah it was we were we were just trying to spitball ideas and i got sick of cameron calling me sweet dougie and so i i threw that one out there and instantly regret it (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so funny but honestly it's it's a name that's stuck like right I mean, you don't even have to know Doug Parsons. All all you even need to hear is just punk rock. You're like, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, if only you have another name then, hey? Yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you're going through, you've, you're riding in the biggest competitions in the world. Everything's looking pretty damn good. I'm guessing you're doing a whole bunch of shows as well and you're making a living in freestyle motocross. And then... I guess everyone starts doing this stupid backflip after Kerry Hart completely changed everything. Then what happened? Well, I think maybe from uh, growing up, always trying to put the front end down. I don't know. I I had my theories on what happened, but um, basically I just, I never wanted to flip. And I think the, what played into it was, getting injured those three years in a row, my confidence was really never back to what it should have been. And then I started doing freestyle and I was always kind of just like barely pulling it off confidence wise. And, um, in one of those off seasons when I was racing and I rode a freestyle contest, I went to this event in Phoenix. It was like 
it was a Pace FMX, which later became IFMA. But uh, yeah, I, I remember those. Yeah, right. Definitely. Yeah. So I had never really hit um, a ramp with metal mesh. I had only hit ramps that had wood on the takeoff, and it was right out of a turn. And I, I was on a one twenty five, and I, I had, I had no idea how fast to hit this thing, but I just knew <laughs> that the other guys on the one twenty fives were like really struggling. So. I came out of the turn pinned and I went up off of it. And I remember pulling to get myself an extra foot or two and it instantly threw me into being looped out. And when I landed, yeah, I just, I just, I landed on my back tire and it, it skipped back and I, I landed on the side of my hip and I think I like broke my pelvis or my tailbone. I'm not sure, but it was right after I had just got my cast off on one of my wrist injuries. So I was, I was like, it, it hurt my hip so bad to this day. I have nerve damage from it. And I think that that is what scared me from hitting metal mesh ramps from that point forward. I just always remember hating metal mesh ramps. I just, they always freaked me out a little bit. And I think it comes from that. So when you, when you compile that, with just not having all my confidence there. And then you put me in this situation. It's just the last thing I wanted to do was do a flip and then have to go do it in all these other places. Cause I knew I could probably get it down at my own place where I practice, yeah. but in all these other countries with all these different ramps, it was just not happening. And I think that's kind of what got me stuck in that rut. I can completely understand that because, um, as I've mentioned how many times before, like it took me six years to even go from the foam pit to dirt because I just had this fear. But then once I finally did it to dirt, um, then it was a matter of, fuck, I've got to do this again and again. Like this was a Clinton Moore's house the first time. Like, okay, then tomorrow I have to do it again. And you got to wake up and feel good and do it again. And then the next day and then go home and then come back and then do it again and then go to somebody else's house and then go to your first show and then go to your first competition. And every time you've got to do it again. And I think it was like after six months, it still felt like so fucking scary. And I remember I was talking to Sheeny. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you'll feel like that for probably a good one or two years. And I was like, oh, all right. One or two years, holy shit. Yeah, and and if this is the dude that's doing double backflips regularly, he's telling me this is just normal um, for one or two years. I was like, oh, man, this stupid backflip. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I can completely understand because it's not just doing it the first time and you've got to, you just have to do it whether you like it or not at every event. Right. You know, sometimes maybe, maybe there's a real reason why you shouldn't do it, but pretty much there's no excuse. Like once you get there and everyone else is doing it. Right. You got to do it and it sucks. (laughs) It really does suck. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was at the LG mobile contest. It was usually, um, a really, really big contest at the end of the year that we always did. And it was known for, um, being like more of a free ride course. And I remember it must've been 2003. I remember I wasn't flipping, but Nate and Twitch were, 
And in the qualifiers, I busted out some crazy Richie Canyon lines that no one had even saw or thought of. And I, that's qual- cool. Yeah. And I qualified first without flipping. Whoa, nice. We, yeah. So it was like, I just remember at that point, like a lot of people came up to me, like industry people, and um, they were just like, dude, all you got to do is the flip. And like, you're, no one's going to beat you for as long as you, keep progressing with the tricks and i just remember thinking like dude i don't i'm i'm never gonna flip like this is <laughs> like as good as it's gonna get and oh, it just man. that was like it was just crazy because people so many people came up to me i just always remember people coming up to me telling me like dude all you gotta do is a flip like thinking like it's just a matter yeah. of time before i do it and i'm totally capable of doing it and they just they had no clue where i wasn't mentally like there was i was that door was slammed shut and i just remembered the all these people coming up to me telling me this shit and i'm like dude i don't know i don't <laughs> i don't know man like this <laughs> i don't know what to tell you it's not happening <laughs> yeah so it just that that event was like such a like a pivotal moment in like my career as far as you know, like the ride, like all you, no one's going to be able to beat you, especially if there's free ride jumps. If, if there's free ride yeah. jumps, like, dude, you like, I, I don't know. It was just leaps and bounds ahead of where everyone was at that time. Now, I think, I think a lot of people nowadays have came up to that level because now it's, it's almost like you have to be a free rider first and then you can be a freestyler. But uh, uh, back then it was just mainly people were just focused on free riding or I mean, freestyle. And yeah, exactly. w- when they threw these free ride type courses in, that's where I really excelled. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's crazy. Like you're talking about 2003 and, uh, and you'd already shut the door on doing the backflip then. Well, I, I didn't, didn't shut, I didn't shut the door. Flip. I hadn't no? shut the door. Like I was, I was, uh, I, I wanted, I, I, it wasn't a hundred percent done yet. Like I, I don't think I had gotten the foam pit yet because okay. I went in on the foam pit with Deegan and Feist and Clifford. I, okay. So you, you chipped in for the foam pit. You were, you were going to go for it. Well, I was, I was, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I just figured okay. I, I had the money and I would just feel it out and see, but I think I jumped into that foam pit maybe two or three times and then was over it. And I don't know what year this was at this point, but yeah. I just, I just remember um, just praying to God that something would happen where I would get comfortable and overcome that fear. But um, n- nothing ever did. And I never really, I, I would try, I would work on it for maybe, but see, there's like not really working on it. It's either you do it or you don't. And I yeah. never even really went for it. I mean, on mini bikes, I would try it. And I, for whatever reason, I just never like was into like landing yeah. upside down on my head in the foam pit. And so it just, I don't know. I, I think at one point I would like, I was like, well, I'll try the 360. I can, I have a better chance of doing that because I'm a good really? ripper. And I worked on that for quite some time on the, on the mini bike. But even then I was just like, you know, just grasping at nothing. It was just, just an attempt <laughs> I, to put it out there. This, like I was, yeah. I was still into trying it, but it just, I don't know. It's still the same scenario because if you get that 360 in the foam pit, 
then you got to take it to dirt. And then once you've done it on one jump, you got to do it on the next. Like right. it just yeah. keeps going. Hey. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, I was more comfortable with like not going upside down. So spinning, but, um, at that point, no one had really got the 360, um, too dialed in. And I think by this point too, I had created ride to the Hills. So I was just like, I don't need to do anything. I'm, I, I can do this. I can be a, uh, an event producer and I can create these shows and these ideas. And I, I made more money while doing ride to the Hills at this point. So that's in 2004, I, I kind of had set my sights on doing that and I stopped writing contests and I started focusing more on, you know, what ideas do I have that I could create? Whoa. Okay. So it's not a case of you retired from freestyle and then looked at other options. You already had the other options going. Right. Yeah. So in 2004, I went to Winter X Games and I had gotten in as an alternate and I, it was on the ride home. Like it was like, that was, that was a moment where I was like, dude, like if, if you can't read the writing on the wall now, you're never gonna, <laughs> you know? So I, I was at this point where I was like, you know, what can I do to make money while still riding a dirt bike, like, what do I like to do? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm the free ride guy. I like riding in the Hills. Cause at this point people, people would come out and stay with me and go riding in the Hills. But like I was, you know, I was going out and Richie fixing up all my old jumps. Um, I was, you know, the freeway jump in Calamesa. I went back and fixed that up and had Garth come out and shoot it. And I was like really putting free riding on the map, you know, from for myself and i'm sure there were other guys out there and stuff but i just remember always going out to richie going to all my old jumps and building everything and on the ride home from winter x jay schweitzer was with me and he had just finished up his last video and he was like looking for his next thing to do and i remember telling him like look i got this idea I know Blue Torch tried to do a free ride tour and it kind of worked, but I'm like, here's what I think they did wrong. And, and I gave them this idea, like, look, let's create an event. I'll build the course. I'll create the format. I'll do all the writing side and you handle all the filming and TV side. And basically I came up with this concept, like instead of having 90 second runs, let's let's create five jumps each jump is a stage we have one designated filmer who films each jump we use his footage only to judge at the end of the day the writers judge Ah. can't vote for yourself and we'll get sponsors for each stage so that way we can pay for the event so each each stage each jump was like the moto triple x jump or the you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was basically like the concept and, um, we went and I had written out a jackpots ranch and I'm like, dude, it'd be sick if we could do it out there. These nice plush green rolling Hills and (laughs) perfect location. Right. Yeah. And so we got, um, we got a bunch of the guys that come out. Basically, I told him, I'm like, look, we don't have any money this time around, but if we can sell the show for next year, I'll pay you guys double. 
to make up for right hey, that's free. that's a good deal <laughs> right yeah so so when we got red uh red bull the next year we made sure that we stole nice. everyone out yeah and, and we we did a three-year deal with them uh after that first year but that first year we we put we got the money together from sponsors we cut a half hour tv show and fuel tv bought it and we were off to the races man that is awesome like i i remember those ride to the hills and that was the pretty much the coolest thing i'd seen <laughs> yeah thank you like, I, I that was i thought so too. unbelievable <laughs> no it, the funny thing is like as you're talking like i'm just sitting here just thinking how kind of like along the same lines i've kind of headed like i was never the best freestyle rider um I've never had dreams of becoming the best because I just, I just don't want to crash any more than I have already. And I've already crashed a lot and I'm not willing to risk it. Like I don't want to go do double flips or triple flips is probably what's next and right. everything see, like that. You and, see Harry do the triple flip in the phone. Oh, man, exactly. Huh. Like, like, come on. I'm, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for kids. That's for the young guys. Like, yeah. And, and I've always been, I've always been fairly timid on um, going outside of my comfort zone. Like I'll always, I work on my tricks slowly and I, I do everything slowly until they're perfect and until I'm happy with it. But I was never one to just like, just go and huck it knowing there's like 50, 50 or worse chance of crashing. Like I was right. just never one of those guys. And so I kind of went in like, this is back in 2009, I think. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Ryan White, he's, he's a musician. And like, we were, we both came from a small country town. We moved to the, the big city and he was like, what are you going to do when you finished freestyle motocross? And I'm like, go back and get a real job. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to do that. Like you, you know, we both know you don't want to do a real job and I don't. So, and he's like, well, why don't you just, you know, do something else? Like just start now while you're riding. And, uh, yeah, so I started managing guys. So I was managing Sheeny and Clinton at the time, which was really cool. Um, but then, like, this is only – I'm skipping a long way forward now to a, just after – like, I had a big crash in 2017. And while I was on the couch, um, my wife was doing a scripting job for a TV channel, and it was the free ride snowboard series where they just drop people out of a – helicopter at the top of a top of a mountain and they just have to get to the bottom and they've got all different guys from all different disciplines and they've you know they've all got their own way to get down the hill and all different places to get down the hill and Rachel's like we have to bring this back to freestyle motocross I'm like yeah you know there's there's the New Zealand farm jam and I've ridden that three or four times and that was one of the that was the best competition I think I've ever done like for fun like nobody cared if they won or lost or whatever like you just pumped to be there and same thing riders judge can't judge for yourself and that was it and and then i i just sat there and i was just laying on the couch for two months uh with my leg in a machine just going up and down 12 hours a day that's all i did and so i was just watching videos and just thinking like if this is the end of my freestyle career like okay, it is what it is. Um, but what, what would I have wanted to have done? Like what could, what would be so much better? And I just kept thinking back to, to this free ride. So I was 
I then I started coming up with the idea, like, let's start to go back into free ride competitions. Like freestyle's going completely one direction and we've lost the free ride now. And basically I was talking to uh, the bosses at Night of the Jumps because I was I was judging and I was their commentator and stuff at some of the events or most of the events um, for the last few years and just told them the idea of doing a free ride tour and I was showing them your videos. Like I'm like, here's Ride to the Hills. This is what they did 15 years ago or, or older, longer. And I'm like, this, th- it worked then and it has to work even better now. And yeah, it just kind of came at the right time. So basically I was showing your videos to nice. them and that's how, that's how we ended up with Red Bull Dirt Diggers last year in Germany because it's a, a German company that I'm working for. Like I'm over here living with them, uh, living in Germany. And uh, yeah, that's that was basically the start. So your nice. series was a, a fairly critical part of me just showing what can be done like of course i can put a whole bunch of videos together but i didn't need to you'd already done it so (laughs) thank you very much you made my life so much easier that's awesome (laughs) man that's awesome to hear man it yeah there was a you know that that's not the first time i've heard that i know um robbie madison i think put something together in australia that was you know free ride yeah so uh paul tabley did the um the riot, which was, they, I think Tess put that format together, but they basically used my format to the T and they, you know, created, I think the HD network was trying to put money into creating content and they went out and, um, did the, I think they call it the HD riot or the rush or something, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, I think whatever that saying is, you know, um, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, you know? <laughs> exactly. I, exactly. I, you know, a lot of people are like, dude, can you believe that? They stole you. I'm like, nah, dude, you know how many people told me I was crazy that this would never work. And then here, those same exact people went out and, and did that. And, and the ultimate for me with creating ride to the Hills, it was a few different things. It was one, I wanted to create a series for the guys that didn't want to flip to make money and take the contract to their sponsors and be like, look, I'm riding this, you know, the ride of the hill series it's televised, you know, uh, and do their sponsorship deals, um, in a way to like still continue to ride. So that was one part of it. Another part of it yeah, was exactly. I wanted to get it into X games. Like that was like, that would have been like, Whoa. The, the ultimate goal and that's that's that would have been unreal right so that's why i was talking to paul tabley about it and that's when he told me like oh no it'll it'll never happen and then that's that summer he went out and did the the hd (laughs) series which you know i you know what it's i don't care it's fine you know like i was just stoked like at that point for people to be like you know taking my doing something that i had just done was uh, it was like you know it was credit to me so um absolutely so like, yeah to I, be honest i didn't even know you were behind it i didn't even know until i listened to that racer x podcast about two or three months ago and i was like huh okay that was uh i'm gonna say it again that was punk rock <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's yeah. so gnarly yeah because like you know like uh i judged actually at the second red bull x-ray event that robbie madison had on in sydney 
Um, I don't even know how I ended up judging at that. I don't know why. I, I went down with uh, Matt Shubring. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. Um, so I was down there with Shuey. And I remember, like, I th- obviously Matto must have come up with the the whole judging or somebody, whoever came up with the judging. I don't know who came up with it. Um, but in the end, basically out of the three judges, mine had the most weight, like by something like 80% of the weight of all the judging. And I don't know why. And so at that comp, I was like, man, Tucker killed it. So on my score sheet, I'm like, yeah, Tucker wins. Oh, that was bad. Oh, Matt, I was pissed. He lost his own event and I judged him away from it and Tucker killed it. But to be honest, they both killed it. They both rode so damn good. It could have easily gone both ways. And then, of course, I was the bad judge at uh, that free ride event. Yeah. um, You know, it was, but still, he put on such a massive thing. I think there was like 13,000 people um, and it was only 45 minutes away from Sydney. And it was awesome. Uh, Shuey knocked his front tooth out. He looked pretty oh, awesome. Uh, he went for just like of all the massive jumps, he went to do this little seat grab indie over like this little setup jump, missed his grab or something like that and just smashed his tooth on his bar pad. Um, and, but yeah, like that, that event was so awesome. And you've got Tucker coming out from America. You've got all the races there doing speed and style just for something on on the side. So the races were keeping their sponsors happy. And then over, like I said, over in New Zealand, the Frew Brothers, they had the New Zealand Farm Jam and it just started out, I think, with one event per year. And I think it's one event every two years now because they've all got families and there's just not enough time to do it. Right, yeah. But, but that feeling of an event, like it's just – you can't compare it to any freestyle motocross competition. And, you know, like last year, like I said, we we proved everyone right. That, like I'm glad the right people kind of listened to me at, at just the right time. Like maybe if I gave or, you know, put the idea out there six months earlier or six months later, it probably wouldn't happen. So it was just kind of the right time and – yeah, no, I'm definitely pumped that uh, that the bosses from Night of the Jumps thought it was a good idea. They went to Red Bull. They thought it was a good idea, and it it somehow happened. And then, yeah, the plan is let's go into the future with a full series of it. So, yeah, yeah that's cool. All, yeah, all comes back from back in those days. Yeah, uh, something to say about Matto too was he he um he did my quarter pipe event, and he was he was uh man i can't thank those guys enough for coming out and doing that because this was another event that was like no one had ever really done this before and it was something that you know this year at x games must have been 06 or 05 i I can't remember but it was the first year they had the mega ramp and oh yeah i remember we were all standing there watching practice and i was like a bunch of us were like dude we could hit that on a dirt bike right now you see that takeoff and i i remember looking at that thing and being like dude i gotta make a quarter pipe and as soon as i got home the next week from x games i called dane heron who was the red bull team manager and i'm like dude i'm gonna build a quarter pipe do you want to throw in on this because at this time i kind of had a pretty good relationship with with him and red bull and he's like i'll give you 10 grand and i called adam barker who was doing the m80 tv series and I'm like, yeah. dude, let's do a quarter pipe episode. We'll create a little contest. You can film it for your show. 
Red Bull, Dane's going to give me 10 grand to build it and we'll make it happen. And so I called my buddy, Tommy, who had the property <laughs> and we went and we chunked out a side, you know, cut out. He had this awesome hillside that he had just manicured and graded for his like his house. And he had a super cross track down below and we just chunked the side of this hill out and built our quarter pipe. And that's pretty much how it started. And I remember Maddo had came and I just can't thank those guys enough for, for coming out. Cause I'm not sure if I, if they got paid or how much, I think one of the years, cause we did it two times. I think we paid him the yeah. second, but it was, um, it was rough. Cause I remember Drake crashing and he just, it was so gnarly. Like people that have never hit a quarter pipe, it is so, so gnarly. And I remember a couple of the guys crashing and I was just like, man, this thing's too gnarly. I don't, you know, like some, <laughs> sometimes when I build these events, I'm like, or building jumps in the Hills, I'm like, I don't know, is this going to work? And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And I just remember all these guys coming out doing the quarter pipe and I was just, you know, looking back on it now, I'm extremely grateful for them for coming out. Cause you would never get any of those top guys to come out like they did back then. I think even Jeremy came out and, you know, Whoa. so it, it, it means a lot. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, and was that the first quarter pipe for freestyle? Yeah. Yeah. No one had Whoa, ever done okay. it before. Yeah. So that was another that, thing that I was it, trying to, to do was, you know, three to five events throughout the year. And the quarter pipe was one of them. I created a speed and style event before there was speed and style. And that was really? called park FMX. And we did that out at Fitz's house. And that was also huh. for fuel. But yeah, that, that was, all these were kind of, um, part of my bigger picture idea. Whoa. All these, like, this is what's crazy. Like I honestly, I just had no idea that you had this part in all of these things that were going on back then. Yeah. Is, is, is it me? Like, am I thinking of the right thing? But there's like this iconic kind of photo of Mike Metzger, uh, airing out a quarter pipe. I think he might've been doing a double can as well. Was that the same event? It could be. He, he did the first year. I want to say, I think he did the first year. So, um, maybe I'll have to try and dig up that photo. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure that that's the same one that you're talking about. If yeah. it's not, it's not, but I'm pretty sure it is Yeah, because I remember something about quarter pipes and then just seeing Mike Metzger and I was like, Oh, yeah. Okay. It looks like we've got something else to jump now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like all this stemmed from not doing the flip, like, so 2004 to this point, like my whole mission was to just create events and get them into the, the program. So guys that didn't want to flip still had a place to, to make a living riding dirt bikes. And if yeah. I could help change the sport or put, you know, if, if, if I'm not going to flip, then I need to at least be doing something to contribute to the sport. You know, if I want to have my place in it, you know, that I felt like I needed to bring something else to the table. And, you know, that what's cool about the quarter pipe now is it's like the main staple event at X Games. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. It's like I'm, cool. I mean, the quarter pipe's not really for me. I didn't really <laughs> enjoy it that much um but basically what you're saying is 
you're building events for me. <laughs> if, I, if, if they were still going and they were the main thing, like up until 2012, I wouldn't have bothered flipping to dirt. Like I had to flip because I had to flip. If I wanted to keep riding a motorbike for a living and not having kids hang over the fence at shows going, do a flip. And, yeah. you know, me getting sucky about it because I can't. <laughs> like, if, if your events just kept going, oh, I would have been so damn happy. Oh, yeah. you would have saved me so much stress. Like, I, I wouldn't be so grey as I am now. <laughs> yeah. Were you also involved in the wall ride? Like, Right, yeah. Was so, that yeah, that was another thing that I did. Um, Jesse Olsen was actually the first person. Like, we literally were doing it at oh, the yeah. same exact yeah. time. But he, I went on a film trip and one of our stops was at his house. And that's when I saw his wall ride. But literally at that same exact time, I was building a wall ride back at home. And so I kind of have to give him credit for it because that's really the truth. But um, I built, my wall ride was twice, my wall, it was it was huge. It was, <laughs> it was like three times as big as his. So I just say oh. I be, I built the first mega wall ride, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> you know, that year in X games, they put the quarter pipe and the wall ride in. And that was just like another confirmation to me. Like, yeah, you um, had the right idea, right? Yeah. I had the right idea. So, um, it, it was pretty cool. I don't, I don't know if the wall rides are still in X games. I don't think so, but yeah, it was no, pretty I- cool been a i think it's been a long time since they've had a wall ride there yeah um, i know like x fighters put it in a fair few times which right. is cool um i think if it's it's almost like everything now like it just has to be bigger to be you know to be there and the guys have to want to go big into the wall ride otherwise it's kind of right well you know, we've been there and done that in a way and unfortunately that's freestyle motocross i think like, yeah well i can tell you where the wall ride's gonna go it's it's um oh. you know like i think it's tom parsons he's um oh he's built something where like they have a lip off the wall right and i from day one I, I had always said that um you could do stuff off the wall ride you know you just have to build it a certain way and i want to say tom had he's got something where he's like riding off the corner of the wall ride to a landing and no way yeah i'm pretty sure i think i saw that's cool yeah so i mean that's that's the next step for the wall ride and i i don't know why it's taking this long but um you know there's still a place for it that's for sure man that's cool it's it sounds like you back then is kind of like the tom pages of now like when tom didn't want to do backflips anymore and he just went okay, I'm going to do freestyle motocross my way. And it, basically he almost completely changed how freestyle comps worked, or at least he was winning every event at X Fighters without the backflip. But he came up with bike flips and right. all the flares and alley-oop flares and everything else. So right. you were just doing it with events instead, which is freaking awesome. Right, so, yeah. Congrats, no, man. man, so gnarly. It's so gnarly that you're part of all those things. Um but it's not, it's not the end um, because I actually, I didn't know this as well until, um, must have only been a couple of weeks ago, you were also part of the movie Unchained and it's on Netflix at the moment, or at least it is here in Europe. I don't know if it's on Netflix over there. Yep. 
but uh, the basically the the freestyle motocross documentary, and you've picked yourself up an Emmy for it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, that that's that was a, that's an interesting thing because it was totally unexpected. Um, I in like 2008, I moved to Seattle and kind of took a break from everything and was just trying to find myself. And when I came back in 2011, I um, just happened to come across uh, someone that had worked at ESPN, and I think Ryan Leva at the time was doing all the writing, mm. and he was getting ready to leave. So I emailed the lady that was in charge and I'm like, you know, give me a chance. You know, I've I've got all these connections and resources. Like I can be a really valuable asset to you. And she's like, all right, well, here's an assignment. Turn it in and let me, you know, see what (laughs) you can do. So I covered this assignment and I turned it in and she emailed me back and she goes, chase down every lead you have, every idea for every story tournament will take them all and so i just started yeah so i just started writing for espn which was you know later became xgames.com and i i was just i was trying to you know find my way i didn't you know know what i wanted to do i wasn't really writing i was living at Derek garland's house and i just started cranking out these stories like three or four a week and whoa just yeah so um that that kind of got me onto the map and what had actually happened was they asked me to go paul was recording all the interviews at pro circuit and he asked me espn asked me to go down there and cover it for the website and so i went down there and i was talking to paul about the movie and there was like an hour break and he's like do you want to sit in the chair you're part of everything you know we'll interview huh. you so I, I got in the chair and I interviewed him and, or he interviewed me and he's like, he's like, you're making the movie for sure. Um, we definitely like what you're just saying. And so I went home and then a couple of weeks later, um, Paul had hit me up and he's like, we're looking for someone to help us with the movie. We need someone that understands story. And Eric Johnson had uh, referred me to them that you know i could be someone that might be able to help so basically what they needed was someone that understood how to put story together and basically everyone they had 50 people they interviewed and they had the the videos transcribed and what they needed someone to do was to go through each interview and copy and paste like let's say Ah. they were talking about the double backflip you put yep. that into the outline of the double backflip. So every person that talked about whatever, I basically organized every single part. So that way, when the editor put the the piece together and they needed someone to talk about Daredevils for Seth yeah. Enslow's part, it was in the master it's, Excel and they can, it's already sitting there. They just have to go find that video right. and put so, it in. So I was like the librarian basically, cause I knew where everything was and it took me about six six weeks or eight weeks to to go through every single person's interview and man that's gnarly to put it all together but then from that point on paul he kept me on the project so i helped with other other things to do with the movie but yeah it was like a three-year project and 
I was super, Whoa. super grateful and super lucky to to have gotten that opportunity. And none of us knew that winning an Emmy would even be in the cards. I just, I remember getting a, a phone call and was like, hey, you know that, that nomination we got? Well, we actually won. And because you were a producer, you're an official producer, you actually get an Emmy too. And <laughs> I was just like, wow, that's, I, people go their entire lives in the film industry or TV yeah. industry and never get one of these things. And here, you know, we just got a bunch dropped off <laughs> out of nowhere. No way. Just yeah. a whole bunch of Emmys turning up. All right, let's dish them out to the boys. All right, you're in, you're in. Yeah. Man, that so. is insane. And uh, just uh, what is the Emmy for? Like what? It, what is the category or whatever? Um, well, hold on. Let me see. Oh, <laughs> the librarian's out. Uh, let's see. It says 2016 Sports Emmy Award Outstanding Long Sports Documentary for Unchained, the Untold Story of Freestyle Motocross. Oh. So, yeah, so Long Sports Documentary. <laughs> huh. That is so crazy. How the hell did Freestyle Motocross end up getting an Emmy? That's yeah, just it's, crazy. Well, I'll tell you, it's because the the footage is unbelievable. Like everyone's stories are never in a million years will you get like Kerry Hart and Mike Metzger and Brian Deegan and Tony Hawk and all these guys to just come in and just tell the story so candidly. I I remember going through everything calling Paul and being like, dude, do you realize how much gold you have? Like these guys will never come in and do this ever again. Like to get as many people as you did to come in and just so candidly tell their story truthfully. I'm like, man, this is, this is such like, it's so golden, all this footage and you know, it, it goes to show because we won an Emmy, you know, three years later. For sure. I mean, it's exactly. just, it's insane. Yeah. Like I, I watched it when it came out. So I think, yeah, what was it? 2016 it came out. Um, and I watched it again just today uh, just because I was like, okay, I'm, I know I'm going to give Doug a call. I'm just going to sit down and watch this movie again. Yeah. And I was just, I, just sitting on the couch and, like it was the first time watching the the first backflip with Carrie and like the first time I saw Travis doing the double flipping comp and I'm just sitting there with goosebumps pretty much that entire movie and it's like that was so gnarly like and and thinking about that movie was kind of really only from what 1995 six seven eight to 2006 is basically really what it covered and then just like the last bit was you know where it is now so it's really like all this progression happened like year after year after year after year and the stories were just getting so big and so fanciful and then it keeps coming up with like oh and in 2003 this happened i'm like what i like i remember all of it of course and i remember it happening at the time but Looking back now, thinking about where we are in 2020 and to think that only from 2000 to 2004 was backflip, then Metzger taking it, backflip, backflip in the line and 
uh, you know, and then to the 360. And then it was only two years after that. And there's a double flip. Um, and I think, was it in the middle of that? Maybe it was, was it 05 or was it 07 when there was the body variables coming in as well with the Corolla? And I'm just like, oh man, I forgot how gnarly it was back then. Like it was just so crazy. Right. Yeah. Every time, every day someone was doing something new every x games it was someone was doing something their dirt for the first time it was it was literally like historical every single time the books were changing yeah and i maybe that's the problem we're at now with freestyle you know like everything just happened so damn fast back then like man imagine if they just like just scattered it out like a year or two extra in between everything that was gnarly like but now everyone's seen it all before. Like the tricks that are in competition, okay, there are new tricks, of course. I know there are. But the progression now is not what it was back then. Like back then, every day was like, oh, that can't be done. Oh, it was just done. What? And then the next day, oh, that can't be done. Oh, no, somebody just went and did it. you got to be kidding me. Like it was just off the rails. Right, yeah. It, it's. Yeah, I think without the airbags, uh, and the nitro circus, those guys are really the only ones that are, are trying new things. And even then it's like, you know, what, what is freestyle now? You know, like the sport is even with X games being canceled, it's just, ew, it's scary, man. Yeah. That's the thing. Like where, where do we go? Where does it all go from now? And like, that's where I was thinking, you know, a couple of years ago, basically you know obviously i've been thinking this all the time like this is my job and i hope i've got a job for a little bit longer um and i was like okay well i for me in my mind free ride has to be part of the future like freestyle motocross is just getting so gnarly that only a few guys are stupid enough to risk everything for it um and you're gonna have less and less people doing it and then there's going to be less and less progress and it who knows where that goes, but free riding in an age of Instagram is, you know, there's something about that. I think like, imagine if you're doing ride to the Hills now, like every, every event, you've got a completely different place, not just the same indoor stadium or the same indoor arena. And the footage kind of looks the same, but the tricks are a little bit different and whatever. So and that's why I was like, okay, free ride, maybe it goes this direction. And then maybe freestyle motocross, like with this whole moon booters and everything like that, maybe it turns into a video game style. I don't know. Yeah, that's the million dollar question. People have been, you know, trying to figure out how do you, you know, make free riding into a business model where you can go out and do that. You know, it's from, from day one that... In, in the early days, it was because video sold and it made sense to do that. But now it's just exactly it's like everything's on YouTube for free. So, you know, what's what's the business model going to be? There needs to be some sort of business model where if we want to go out and free ride in the hills that you can get paid at doing it somehow. And that's that's the million dollar question. Yeah, that's it. That's where I see the the biggest problem for events and things like that it's like okay you can just like yeah you see colby just going out and doing whatever he wants and 
you know, you see it straight away. It's straight on Instagram where you see Tyler Berriman doing something with Matto. I mean, obviously they did that with Red Bull in LA and that was a huge deal, but pretty much as soon as it was done, it was up for free and you didn't have to wait six months or 12 months for it to go into a video and then go buy the video and everyone buys the video. That That's disappeared. That's gone. So, right. Yeah. I don't know. Are, are you involved in any of these discussions with like, you know, obviously you've been working with Paul Taubleib and Schweitzer and everyone like that. Like I'm guessing they've got the same issues. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't spoke to Jay in a really long time. Um, and you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not too sure what anyone's thinking right now, just with the way the economy is right now and the coronavirus, but, um, really, how guys have basically if you're in x games and you're a contender usually you're going to have a monster or a rock star or red bull and that's what helps pay the bills the majority of everyone that's out free riding has either got something else going that enables them to go out and free ride because we all want to just free ride but that's nobody's getting paid to just free ride like everyone's always got something else going on and then that is giving them the resources to do it. So um, I don't know. It's I don't know what this year is going to do towards, you know, these guys having those deals that ride X games and then they go out and free ride d- during the week and everything else. I don't I don't know how sponsors are going to change. I have a feeling that it's not going to be good. Anytime sponsors pull back, they never come back with what exactly. they normally put in. So you know, I, I can see a lot of guys losing rides, you know, the whole entertainment industry is down. So that means guys doing shows is out the window. So the guys that don't have sponsors, but make money writing shows, uh, you know, who knows what they're going to do. It's, it's, um, it's a rocky time, you know, and I'm, I, I don't really know, but you know, that with my podcast, I'm hoping that it, um, turns into something where I can, do that where you know i can get some advertisers on board and then that gives me the resources to go out and ride during the week because you know with me riding the shows gonna you know be a whole lot um easier to promote so um the park that's it exactly well that that was one question i wanted to ask you about you know like you have your own podcast uh the motocross show the moto uh, show yeah Moto X show. Yeah. The Moto X show. Um, how did you get into it? Like, and how long have you been doing it for? Well, basically what, how I got into it was, um, in 2017, I moved to Phoenix and I had started going to college. I wanted to get a degree in psychology and I wanted to, uh, be a sports psychologist and work with athletes and, um, stuff like that. And I hadn't, I hadn't really ever listened to a podcast before. I didn't know what podcasts were, even though I had listened to the Toyota of Escondido action sports show and was really into that. Listen to all those episodes, but I didn't really know that that was a podcast. I just know that when yeah. I plugged my phone into my truck, that that show opened up <laughs> and that that's basically all I knew about podcasts. And then I watched a podcast on YouTube with 
um, Dan Bilzerian on Joe Rogan. And I was like, what is this? And then I somehow came across that it was that purple app on my iPhone, these podcasts. <laughs> so I started listening to them. I'm like, holy shit, these things are dope. Like this is right up my alley. And I was just like, man, I, I don't know if like, I really struggled in the beginning with, you know, like what kind of narcissist am I to think I can start a podcast and you know, like what kind of yeah. ego maniacal maniac am I? And basically like, while I was in college, I was just looking for a way to make a little bit of money so I could focus on going to school full time. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah. I've got these cool stories. I grew up in Richie. I saw a lot of stuff go down in Richie. Um, I was part of all these other things. And I thought like, you know, I've, I have some badass friends and I would love to just have them on and shoot the shit and talk, talk about the good old days and tell stories. And, and so I started this podcast, not knowing anything about podcasts and how hard it was going to be for me. So it, it started out that I was looking for a way to pay for myself to go to college. And then I instantly realized how hard it was. And then it, you know, after a year or so yeah. it, it became like, this is the scariest thing I can do to better myself. And so once I, I reached that point, you know, I think I had maybe done 20 or 30 episodes and I wasn't doing them consistent. Whoa. I wasn't really into it. I knew I sucked at it. I was like really uncomfortable with them. And it, you know, I think since 2000, I don't know if I started in, I think the spring of 18, maybe so 18, 19 and 20. Yeah. So, um, just, just in 2000, towards the end of 19, I really started like buckling down on it. And like, you know, it's, it's really forced me to like face the facts. Like it's really, I've really put myself out there in a really vulnerable way. And I've really had to like accept the things that, you know, maybe I had been trying to lie to myself about, or, you know, like I've, I've had to like really eat a humble piece of pie and just be like, dude, you know, when, when people come on the show, like you can't be afraid to not talk about anything and you cannot be afraid to skirt something that maybe you don't want to admit to, or you don't want to cop up to like, you know, it's really like forced me to like really work on myself and, and, and be also learn how to be a better host. And I have these awesome guests on and these, you know, these guys are, I feel like I was doing them a disservice. And so it's just really forced me to work on this new role. Cause normally I'm the guy being interviewed and in that role, I'm really comfortable. Like, you know, I have a lot to say and I, I feel really comfortable, but when you put me on the other side where I'm the person interviewing the guests, like now I'm in this completely foreign box that I know nothing about. And I've, yeah. I've always been an introvert. I've always been like, keep to myself really quiet. And now I have to switch over to this extrovert personality. And, you know, it took some time for me to get comfortable with that and then to really embrace it. And, and now with the podcast, I feel like I'm, I'm getting better at it and it's getting better. And, you know, at some point, like, you know, I could actually turn it into something that like, I'm really proud of and that, you know, people could come on because they're getting a lot of exposure from. So, um, that's kind of like, kind of like what the podcast is now. And it's, you know, it, I like it 
but it's, I'm really outside my comfort zone, yeah. even though it's, you know, I, I hope everyone enjoys it as well. That's really crazy to hear that. Um, because you have the experience writing for ESPN and then X games for so long, you have been in front of the camera for uh, what more than 20 years. Um, you've done all these things. Um, but then to turn the, you know, to be on the other side of the microphone or be on the other side of the, the interview and doing the job, but I didn't, I'm surprised that it was so difficult. Yeah. And, and like where, where you said like you were, you know, the fear and things like that, like what was the fear of and, and being, I, I understood definitely the part where you said what kind of uh, ego or, you know, whatever, because I felt the exact same um, when, when my friend uh, Joel was telling me I should do this. I was like, what, who the fuck would want to listen to me talk to somebody else? Like, why, why would I do it? Like, go find somebody else that's way more qualified to do this because I'm not. Um, so, yeah, I know exactly those feelings, but I'm, I was just surprised that you had kind of that, that fear that you did a disservice as well to the, to the people you had on. Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't know. Um, it's, it's some, some form of social anxiety, I'm sure. And just, yeah. It's it's something that it's completely foreign to me. So, you know, I, I don't know why, well, you know, why I would fear it, but it's just, you know, I mean, it, it just comes down to confidence and, you know, what's confidence? Yeah. Confidence is, is certainty. And I think because I'm doing something and I'm uncertain of it, that creates maybe the, the nervousness and whatnot. And, um, always, comparing everything I do to like the talent that I had on my dirt bike. This yeah. is the first time that, you know, I'm so far outside my comfort zone that like, uh, I'm, you know, completely learning something completely new. And I don't know, it's just, it's just talking and stuff like I'm better being on the other side of the, the thing. It's mainly just probably knowing the mechanics of, you know, how to yeah. lead or host a, a show and, you know, um, not knowing that and learning it the hard way. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I know like I was pretty lucky. Um, like if I look back you know, I'm just thinking this straight off the top of my head now, like, uh, in Australia, there was uh, a TV show called Homegrown Maniacs, and it was kind of like, um, ah, damn it, uh, M80. It was kind of like the M80 back then, like an Australian version of it on Fuel TV. And the the guy who was creating it, Holtzy, he came over from the West Coast over to the East Coast, and he just asked me if I wanted to host some episodes. And one of the episodes was on uh like my place and where I was riding. And I look back at those videos, man, it's so embarrassing. Like I think it was 2007 or 2008, first time I've ever had to be the host and not the one being asked the questions. And, and I had this full Australian accent. Ah, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, what's it like to go do that jump? And like, oh, it's horrible looking back. So I know at least now I'm not as bad as I was then. But still, that there is always that feeling because when when you're the rider being asked a question, you know the answer. Like you're the expert on a motorbike, so you know you give your answer, and that's what it is. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah, and, 
that that expertness is it, I'm not an expert by any means in the being a podcast host and I you know that's probably where where a lot of the the anxiety comes from yeah that's it and uh no but I mean honestly they're coming out sweet and it's like the people you're having on and the questions you've put to them like oh, I, I was I was listening to one with I think it was Dustin Miller yeah and like again this is because like I'm pretty much only freestyle motocross because I know you do uh, you have other guys on there for motocross and supercross and whatever else but so I was really just listening to the freestyle guys and yeah just listening to that one with Dustin was just awesome and yeah you were riding with him in those times so you've got that background info and you can really extract so much more out of them than somebody who doesn't know them yeah thanks well i hope so i hope i'm hope i'm uh bringing it that's for sure the miller episode was like probably one of the the best ones that i've done um I really I, I listened to a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think I got like three thousand new subscribers after that episode. So I know, I know the Whoa. the the listeners really liked it and stuff. So, um, yeah, man. I don't know. It's it's that. it's a lot of fun. It's it's definitely like I said. It's this. It was the scariest thing I could do to better myself. So that is gnarly. And did you ever finish the the psychology degree? No, I, I got like three, no. three semesters oh. in and I just, I don't know. <laughs> ah, I would love to go man. back and do it, but it's, it's, it's tough, man. It's a lot of time and whatnot. Yeah. I was at uni for six and a half years and, uh, I, I have nightmares actually still to this day that I, I just would not want to go back to university. That was hard. Like it was easy getting drunk every day. That part was fine. Yeah. But oh man, the the time and the stress that goes into uni was just a nightmare. So uh, I I I don't even know how you would want to do that. Um, what was it called? Like when you go there, not out of school? Is it um, middle aged? learning or I, I don't know like i always remember there'd always be a couple of people turning up to some lessons and you got all these 18 year olds 19 year olds and then someone turns up and they're 30 and you're yeah. like what the hell are you doing here like get out of here <laughs> yeah yeah that was uh, me oh man uni uni was hard work and i definitely don't want to go back to that so yeah i'm thought- surprised you did it in the first place what what was the plan what were you thinking to do with the psych degree I just, I wanted to work with athletes and, and help with Oh, sorry. You did say that. Yeah. 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 So, um, and, and that was basically, it was basically just for the sports athletes and getting into that. Yeah. I've from, since I was a little kid, I, I always wanted to be a psychologist. And once I, um, went through my athlete career, I'd always wanted to be more specific and work with sports psychology. And so, um, psychology is just something I've always like really been into and it's been a really easy subject for me to understand and learn. And so, uh, when I was looking for a job and something to do a career, I thought I would give that a shot, but the amount of schooling you have to go through and the amount of time you need and how much it costs, I just didn't want to do that at the time I was doing it. So, yeah, that's it. And there's one thing in the background that I also didn't know, um, but there was a very small mention of, and you brought it up with me. 
drug addiction. How how does this come into play with with you? And is this part of the freestyle career or the ending of the freestyle career? Or yeah, tell us about that. Um, yeah, like uh, I think it was partly with the flip and you know trying trying to deal with the fact that the the whole career the whole gig is going to be up and trying to figure out like what you know what to do and you know just trying to come to terms with all that and you know you riding every day and you got these injuries and stuff and um you take these painkillers and the your injuries don't hurt as bad and then now you've got this like mental um these mental issues that you're going through and when you take these pills things get a little bit easier or they you know they get put off or you know you don't you don't have to deal with the actual the facts of reality and whatnot and and before you know it you're you're doing it to cope and you're doing it to um just deal with life and get through things the next thing you know you you're addicted to them and you know now you're fighting this whole new battle and you know it takes years away from your life and everything you know you're a prisoner of your own mind and basically i just took some you know it's from 2008 ish well it actually started in like okay. around five or six but um around 2008 when, when did you retire from freestyle what well, year was that 2005 was the last year that i okay. really wrote i think i wrote maybe a couple times but i was already like just sitting at home i just i thought like oh i'm just gonna produce tv shows i don't need to ride and that's kind of like when my uh tolerance like really went up and and then like around 2008 was when i was like dude i need to make a change i need to get out of here and that's when i moved to seattle and and um i don't know it was still it's it's been an on again off again battle you know from 2005 or four ish up until Damn. you know there was years where i was i was be clean for a few years and then have like a year where i relapse and then you know you go back to um getting clean again and then you relapse and it takes a few times before you get it right but i think yeah, since and- around 2000 um like middle of 2017 like i got clean again and then Whoa. i always I'd always be like, oh, I'm going to get clean. But then I would drink like every day and not like crazy drink, but I would yeah. drink every single day. I'd have a glass of wine or I'd drink a couple silver bullets, like whatever. And then this yeah. last time around, I was just like, dude, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm so sick of like, like failing. Like I'm, I'm a prisoner in my own mind. I can't stand this shit. I, you know, I can't stand who I am. I can't stand the people that I'm around. I'm around these scumbags all the time. It just takes you to the dirtiest places. I got like some really close calls. Like, you know, I'm handcuffed sitting on the the sidewalk on the curb while these cops are going through my truck. And I've got like massive, I've got four or five pill bottles on the hood of my truck. I've got like pills and bags stuffed in prescription bottles with no labels like i always had a prescription so that i would i'd always be covered but still like i would have other pills and stuff and there was a couple times where like i got pulled over and somehow some way 
I like was able to talk my way out of it. And I'm like, I'm looking at the cobs and I'm looking at all the shit on my hood. And I'm just thinking like, there's no way they're going to let me go. And this just didn't happen like once or twice. Like this happened a few times. And I was just like, man, like for whatever reason, I have this gift where I can talk my way out of like a really serious situation. And so I just, towards like 2017, I was like, dude, there's, I can't handle these close calls anymore. I'm like, dude, if I'm going to give this a go, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. And so I just, I was like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do anything. And you know, I'm coming up. That's on. such a long time. Yeah. So I'm coming. And, and, and it started from then, uh, I'm guessing it was the painkillers that you said at the start was the, the, the catalyst. Yeah. Like that was, yeah. The, the painkillers, it was the painkillers yeah. throughout the whole time. Okay. Ah, oh, man. I, <laughs> I basically, I don't live on painkillers. Um, but since my crash two and a half years ago, because I've seen a lot of friends um, get stuck on painkillers and, you know, maybe getting to worse or whatever. And, and you hear the stories of other people getting onto different drugs and then maybe it gets to the point where they're not here anymore. I've always had like a, a pretty big, not a fear, but I just, I'm just so aware that I do not want to take painkillers unless I absolutely have to. Um, and so when I had this last crash, which has basically put me out of freestyle anyway, which pretty much ended my career, um, even just to walk, I have to, well, I had to take a hell of a lot of um, ibuprofen and ibuprofen is just an anti-inflammatory. It's, it's nothing, but what it has done is completely destroyed like, my guts um so and then i was like okay i'm getting all these like uh intestinal problems and stomach problems and whatever my like, for fuck's sake like i if i don't take painkillers and I, I took these just to move but now that's destroyed something else so then i just stopped taking everything and pretty much for the last year i barely go outside because it just hurts. Like every day you're just sitting in pain going, oh, for fuck's sake. Like Rach wants to get, like my wife wants to go out and do something. She's like, oh, let's go do this. I'm like, ah, nah, I could stay here and just, you know, play video games. That'd be a lot easier. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so I completely understand it. Cause like when you've got that pain, that's just always there. Like, you just want it to go away and and I know what I need to do to get rid of it and that's to have a full hip replacement but I'm trying to put that off as long as possible yeah um hip. but in another way it's completely destroying my life because I'm just so unmotivated to do anything physically because I know it hurts so I'm just sitting here using my head and just on the laptop all day just thinking and coming up with projects and whatever but i'm not getting outside and actually kind of living the life so i've yeah it's damn damn pain and painkillers and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah they'll get you man i know that all too well it's 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 a rough one to to go through that's for sure it's taking down so many people i mean people you wouldn't even think that it 
are doing pills are doing pills. Like the being on that side of the program for a while, like the, the people I would be like, Holy shit, you do fucking pills too. I'm like, you know, like team managers and team owners and like just the shit. I'm like, Holy shit. Like it's such a two sided thing in our sport where, you know, some of these people like get caught up on the other side and the majority of people don't see it and it's just like man it'll get anyone like it does not discriminate it they will they will get anyone and everyone and especially now like you know um with this fentanyl coming in from china and stuff it's just like i literally saw like you know someone turn blue and purple and have to give them cpr and like it's just it's so crazy now like i'm so glad i got out of it now and um just how dangerous it is like they're putting fentanyl in everything and it's just it's fucking so gnarly and so scary because people have no idea like you can literally you can count out five or six grains of fentanyl and that will kill someone in 30 seconds from them ingesting it it is so strong you know it's so crazy it's people i i am so i so scared for people that do drugs now because they are packing fentanyl into Xanax pills. They're putting it into all these different things. I even heard that they were like putting fentanyl into cocaine to get the users hooked. So they'll keep coming back to buy more cocaine. Like they're putting it in everything. And it's, it's so scary. Cause if you say like, you're just someone that buys Xanax on the street, you don't take opiates or anything. But yeah. you get these Xanax bars and they were putting fentanyl in these bars and these people are taking these bars and then they're dropping dead, you know, 30 oh, minutes why? later. And it's, you know, they have no idea. And it's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's so scary to, to think about like where, where all that shit is going now. And like, you know, the, the That's so it's, nuts. it's insane. I just, it's. I hope, you know, if, if people are out there struggling, like get help, do whatever you got to do. Cause it's, it's never going to end well. Like it will take all your money. It will take everything from you. It will eat every relationship up. It will ruin your reputation. It will take years for you to get it all back. And it takes about five minutes to lose it all. So, um, Far out. you know, it's just fucking it's it's gnarly man it's no joke like i'm lucky that i was able to pull through and you know somewhat that's so gnarly you know slowly putting the pieces back together you know and i don't know like it was this something really from you that got you out of this or did you have friends that uh helped you come out of this problem um well like I always knew, I always knew while I was doing them that like, I wasn't the people that I was hanging around with. Like there were, there were some of my friends that I was hanging around with that they weren't those people either. And I, I, in the back of my mind, I always knew I was going to get off of them and like figure everything out. Like I was just, you know, use it. It was some sort of coping mechanism. And at some point I was going to work through that. And then, you know, I would get back to like the life that I always had known. So it just, I just, you know, you get, it takes a few times to, to figure it out. You know, you get clean and then 
you have some time under you and then you're like, Oh, you know what? I can have a, I can cheat. I can have a cheat day and you do, yeah. you know, you have a couple and then next thing you know, it's three days later and then it's five days and then it's seven. And then now you're hooked on them again. And there's, here's another six, <sighs> nine months of like trying to get off of it. And then you get clean and get some time under you and then you do it again. And then, you know, it takes, takes a few times where you're like, you know, what? uh, I just, I've had enough cheat days. I can't go there anymore. Like if for me now, like if I take painkillers for more than three days, like I'll be hooked. Like it, it, yeah. even having years, uh, clean, it still will take me three days. Sometimes it'll take me 48 hours and I'm like, dude, I already need them. I could get already. Hell. It's, it's just crazy. Cause I have done them for so long. So it's, it's, um, it's nuts, man. It's, it's crazy what it can do to you. And you just got to get to a point where you're like, you know what, basically what I did this last time was I, I just, I, I created this value system for me. I always valued wow. wanting to get high more than I wanted to stay sober. And so I just flipped that and I just created this value system yeah. where I, I valued being sober more than I valued getting high or drunk. And that's like really what helped me. But also another huge thing that really helped me was right. I was, I was getting clean this last time. is when I found out that we won the Emmy and that was kind that's of, that's cool. Yeah. That was kind of like a, a little like bonus thing for me to be like, you know what? Like, cause I had always viewed my writing career as a failure. And when I won this Emmy, I was just like, you know what? Like I have something like super cool to look back on and be proud of now. And that Emmy was like really kind of like a shining moment for me to be like, you know what? Uh, I, I'm not a complete failure. Like I, I put a ton of work into this project and was rewarded in this way that I never thought possible. And at this, it was also at the same time that I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to, you know, do sports psychology and stuff like that. So I just put a lot more value into like the positive things that I had going on at the time. And, um, that like that, you know, really helped things I think the most. Man, there's so much to unpack from that. That's <laughs> that's so gnarly. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's crazy. Like, I mean, it's just, of course, it's just your opinion and, and just how you felt on it. But like, you know, again, as I was a freestyle motocross fan first and foremost. Um, so as a kid, like looking and looking up to you guys, like no way would I've ever thought like that was a failure or anyone would think that. But then of course you've got that feeling in the back of your mind. Okay. The backflip fucking backflip and you know, all those sorts of things. I, I can get that. Um, but yeah, I mean to get that Emmy at the end, probably a good timing by the sounds of it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know. Perfect. timing. <laughs> yeah. It was, Far out. yeah, it was perfect. So we, I don't want to, you know, sit here and think about all the negatives because there is the positive like you've come out of it all and you're feeling better now and you're clean and and you've got these rewards and you've got all these projects that are still going on and the podcast's going awesome but i really want to think about probably some of the best images i have of your writing is manny's jump i just wanted to get your uh, thoughts on on jumping that 
fucking ridiculous jump that <laughs> I guess only a few guys ever, ever did. Um, tell us about that. Like back, this is going way back in the glory days. I don't know when it was, but yeah, I just wanted to hear your story and how, how the fuck did you even jump that? Yeah. Manny's jump was the, the big dog was, that was a, that was a great day. Uh, I think Colin called me and he's like, Hey, we're going to film with Godfrey. He's like, I want you to come out and ride. It'll be dope. Yeah have a lot of fun riding with you and you're someone that goes big. I always liked doing big distance jumps and that was kind of Colin's deal too. So, um, we rolled out, dude, we smoked weed all day long and just freaking scented on the, the big dog. And, um, I remember like following him. I followed him. Who jumped it first? Uh, did, well, did Chuck hit it first? Chuck or? jumped it first, but that day with Colin and I, Colin jumped it first and I just remember following him. He's like fifth gear. And I got in behind him like once. And the the roost was so bad. It was like these sand pebbles. And I just remember following him. And I was like, oh, dude, that's, I was like, dude, fuck that, dude. I'll just hit it on my own because it was just shredding up my arms. So I just went back and jumped it on my own. And then um got it dialed and i'm like dude i think i can do a seat grab on this and so i i went to do a seat grab the first time and i like almost looped out at like 200 feet because the wheel was spinning so fast that the front end just like as soon as i jumped i wasn't anticipating that and the front end got like real light and came up so i had to adjust how i was hitting it and as soon as i left the lip i would like preload over the front end of the bike and then jump off so that way my body was over the front of the bike but i was still jumping up into a grab and doing a grab and then that's they didn't show that in global addiction because i didn't really know what was going on colin just told me to come out and ride but they had done like a whole skit where he was having nightmares and he they show him sleeping in his bed like tossing and turning and then he shows up to Manny's and he does this huge jump. And then, so it, it wouldn't have looked great if they were showing me doing heart attacks and stuff while it was like his moment to shine. Yeah, But yep, definitely. that was, that was pretty much what was going on. And then they also had a ramp and that was also one of the first times that I ever did uh, like a really flat, no footed knack. And that's kind of like where the flatliner came from. Was Was that the flatliner day as well? Yeah. Yeah. That was the same day. So. um, Holy crap. Yeah. So um, can you explain uh, like where, what this place was like, what is Manny's and what's there? Because so, uh, you know, Manny's was just, it was called Manny's yard and Manny Jubala. He was super cool. He had this, his uh, family had a construction company and they had all their equipment in this yard, but the, he also had a freestyle jump and it was like one of the main spots that the guys in Temecula would practice freestyle at. And he was super cool with letting us come out and ride. And then in the back part of the property is where he had this huge mountain. It was like, you <laughs> yeah, know, this huge mountain. Monster. Yeah, it was huge. And he cut out the face and got some dirt to build, uh, some takeoff. So there was like a, a, a really short, short distance one. There was one that was set at like 140, and then there was the big line that was at like 200. So it was a pretty, it was Fuck. super, super cool spot to like 
to have to ride. Cause at this point I remember going there, like this was before I had switched to freestyle and I wasn't really in with anyone. I didn't have my own spot yet. And I remember him letting me go out there and, and learn tricks. I remember going out there on my 125 and like when I was still like a full blown racer and like trying to learn tricks and, and stuff, he was super cool letting us come out and ride. And, and later on, as like, I'd gotten to freestyle full times when we filmed with Godfrey out there and for global addiction and, and me and Colin did that big old huge jump. But yeah, it's, I remember being so high up in the air that I could see Lake Elsinore, like, you know, 20, (laughs) 20 miles to my, uh, to my North. It was crazy. No way. Like that jump is so ridiculous. I hope you've still got the footage of it and, uh, you can send it over. I'd love to chuck it up on the Instagram because that was like, I remember watching like there was you. Yeah. Scummy, uh, Seth Enslow had a huge crash on huge, it. I remember, I think yep. he came up short. Did he come up short or did yeah, he go long? Or, I don't know. I think his, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know if his wheel blew out or his fork snapped off, but like, I know he, dude, he bro, I think he broke both his femurs at the same time, but yeah, <sighs> it was freaking gnarly. That's for sure. Far out. And then you did that flat liner as well. So right. yeah, I hope you got all those photos. You can send them to me because I just want to, see him again and i'll chuck him up yeah, on instagram yeah and i think i have the that video flatliner was sick yeah yeah that was nice. that was pretty cool man it was a that was a super fun day for sure like those were the days we lived for we're just going out uh filming and riding like that's pretty much like what i grew up doing in richie was filming like i remember when crusties wasn't even crusties it was just john and it was mainly dana who came out in the hills and would just be like fucking huck it bro and i i'm like (laughs) he would like come up with these lines and i'm like well if you do it then i'll do it and he would just he would seriously try something completely ridiculous and then be like well what up bro fucking you know dana would do it don't you don't trust your skills like what's up guy so did did dana jump him as well he would try he would he would climb shit or he would he would basically either throw his bike or, you know, mainly he would, he would like compromise and be like, well, I'll try climbing that hill. And we're like, there's no way you're going to make that hill, but I'll, I would, I'll watch you throw it and crash down the hill. And then I'll, I'll come over and try this line. But a lot of times he would have like snowboard lines where it was like step downs and like crazy, crazy shit. But, um, those, you know, that was what the beginning days were like. And Richie was those guys coming out and filming and it was, Like that was, that was what I grew up knowing was, you know, coming home from school and Seth and sink Mars are parked in my driveway and, you know, get, get my gear on and go out in the Hills and find them and shit. Like that happened all the time. And, um, so, you know, that's insane. Yeah. Like (laughs) you've just got legends in your backyard. Right. Yeah. Like that, it was just no big deal for me to come home from school and see like, you know, mcgrath and all these guys parked on the side of my house and shit and going out and finding them in the hills or you know i remember one year pastrana came out there was like this tire double in the back of the hills and i i shit you not every single day i came home someone came to my house some pro racer and was like take me to the tire double i heard about this crazy tire double and i must have went to this tire double a thousand times this one season and it was 
insane how many people would were like take me to the tire double and it was just this this double that my boy tommy made and i remember he like mixed some bags of cement because he was thinking like to keep the lip from chewing up we'll like pack cement on it and it didn't work but like so we would throw like 20 tires on the lip so when we left at the end of the day no one would ride on it and it became known as the tire double <laughs> but no why and how big was this thing it was probably like um it was a hip so it was like a takeoff and then it was a gap to like a side of a hill that came down and uh i i think on my 125 it was probably like fourth gear like pretty wide open so it was maybe like a hundred feet i'm not sure but you had to you had to whip it to land into the right spot so it was it was kind of tech and some guys would like you know the back end would kick back on them and they'd swap out and land but it was yeah it was it was pretty cool you know like Dana came out with Pastrana and we filmed on it. And there was like a two page spread and I don't know if it's MX machine or one of the mags, but it's like me and Pastrana, um, together on the, on the tire double jump. I think I have pictures of that. I can send to you, but yeah, it was, it was cool. You know, like filming in the Hills and all that video stuff was like, basically, you know, those, those were like the, the roots and the seeds of all the freestyle that later became for me. That's so gnarly, and I bet back then you didn't think that they, the, those are the days you're going to remember. And here you are, yeah, twenty years later or whatever, and just going, ah, oh, that they were the days. Yeah, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy thing. That day that Pastrana came out, I remember I was riding my race bike, and so I didn't really want to put much time on it, but I had gone to that jump so many times that I remember. John and Pastrana or Dana came out and Pastrana and they're like, take us to that jump. And I remember I took him to that jump. I must've hit it like four or five times. And then I'm like, all right, see you guys later. And I rode home because I was so burnt out that, you know, <laughs> here's like Pastrana. He's just like this phenom and here's Dana of crusty demons of dirt, but it was no big deal for me to go film with those guys or ride with those guys because it happened every single day. And I always look back on that, like how, what a crazy, what a crazy place I was in where I was just like, all right, see you guys later. I'm going to go home and do absolutely nothing while you guys are out here filming, making, you know, crusty six or seven, whatever it is. But it was just, that was just like, you know, that's what, that's all I knew. It was just like tomorrow, you know, another group of guys are going to come out and we're going to go out and film. And, you know, it, it's just crazy. I, I always remember that day because of that. Yeah, man, that is gnarly actually, because I remember I was riding a lot with uh Shuey and he was good mates with uh, Freeman and Nicholson uh, doing all the crusty tours and everything like that. And he said, yeah, uh, next week they're coming out to film crusty. Uh, and of course I was going to be there anyway, but I definitely was not going to miss it. So <laughs> I made sure I was there and Shui had built this huge step up um, and then made this step down and he had all the other jumps around and there was a 180 footer um, just over the hill. And so I was jumping everything and doing whatever, but of course, you know, when there's a helicopter and you've got bloody Freeman hanging out of this helicopter with a camera, 
and I don't know, maybe I didn't eat enough that day and I was just getting too excited. I don't know what it was, but I just did the step up, turned around, did the step down and I just completely ate so much shit. I just got like this in-swinger and it was a third gear step down and I landed at the bottom of it and just got smashed into the ground and they missed the shot. I was pissed. Like the only thing they got of the shot was like me walking over to the bike to pick it up and everybody already there. I was like, no way. I've had like this huge crash for Krusty and they missed it. I think the, like the, the helicopter was like spinning around, like it was doing like a 180. So he kind of, he saw the step up, but that wasn't anything spectacular. Uh, and then he missed the fucking crash. So Damn. yeah. That, sucked um and then i think it was maybe the year later they came back again and that was actually my first year and a wedding anniversary and yeah so that i knew they were coming out and i was like sorry rach but i gotta go ride <laughs> because every video being made and i am not missing it because they missed my last crash like i don't i don't want to crash but i definitely want to be in another video and Actually, I think I even went up in the helicopter that day as well, which was pretty cool. It was the first time I was in a heli. But, uh, yeah, so we were filming at Shuey's again with Krusty. It's on my first wedding anniversary. My wife wasn't pissed, but it definitely wasn't the uh, <laughs> the romantic thing that she probably expected to have that day. So then we, we finished up, and I guess they were going to have some beers, and that was it for the day. So we jumped in the car, and... We were just driving along. I was just looking, you know, for something to stop by, like maybe a lake or some waterfalls or something out in Boona. And there was, <laughs> on the side of the road, there was uh, like a, a, a little cart selling pumpkins for $1. And I just pulled in. I went, I'm like, yep, ran over, grabbed a pumpkin. I'm like, there you go, Rach. Uh, happy anniversary. <laughs> Um, actually, we just had our 10th wedding anniversary uh, last week or the week before. Nice. Congrats. Uh, yeah. our, our, our thing pretty much is uh, every wedding anniversary, we get a pumpkin. No way. So, That's awesome. Yeah, so we started from uh, our first wedding anniversary on a crusty film shoot. Uh, I was such a tight ass and so useless that I didn't even think of it until I was in trouble. Yeah. So there you go. And, and for you, that was just another day. Come home from school and there's the boys. So, and I'm here running around buying fucking pumpkins. <laughs> That's cool, though. You <laughs> turned it into something special. Um, I didn't. I think she did. She, maybe it was the – she's like, well, this is him. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to make the, the best of a bad situation here. So, yeah, pumpkin's nice. Okay, I think it was nice. So, no, I think I'm I'm, I'm pretty lucky because I think – pretty much any other woman would have walked out on me yeah. so, <laughs> over the years and, you know, being a nurse all the time. So, yeah, I think I'm definitely lucky on that. So, No, but, uh, I mean, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's, we easily got to two hours. I know we were talking about uh, an hour to an hour and a half and you said, oh, I've got enough material to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were right about that. So I, I'll, uh, I won't take up any more of your Sunday. Um, but no, thank you very much for coming on and, and being so candid and man, some awesome stories out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. No problem. From, uh, fuck. Actually, what would be your number one memory from your career? Oh man. I don't know. Um, 
you know, like the, the one thing I always talk about was the hardest thing, um, that I, or the thing I miss the most is probably like the community or the camaraderie, you know, like that, that always, always, um, I think of that the most is the thing I missed the most. And the thing that I had the most fun with was, was hanging out with everyone it was the traveling during the weeks or on the weekends when we we're all together and we're going somewhere and then we're riding somewhere together. I think that's probably the biggest memory I have of, you know, the most positive thing was all the, the community and the camaraderie that, you know, we had, and we got to experience that's probably like the one thing looking back on it because there was so many cool trips and you know so many things so many good memories but like the one thing that i i think i miss the most now is it was that community we had so probably something like that what an answer man (laughs) i agree with you because uh i would say the exact same thing like that's yeah it's that's the best part of it like you're doing cool shit and everybody's risking everything like but you're all doing it for fun anyway yep you're doing it all together and you know that's cool good answer yeah nice yeah. one yeah one one good thing about uh doing the podcast is i understand this side so much better and and what it what it means that you know to put some juicy stuff out there that the fans i think will really like <laughs> yeah for sure man you filled this one up full of juice so that was <laughs> awesome i'm i'm genuinely impressed uh i could probably keep going for another two hours but uh i'd rather put that into a part two to be brutally honest yeah yeah <laughs> you know like, uh there, there's so much more i know that's out there and i'm sure you got so many more stories um, so I'd love to have you back on again and, and go for round two yeah. as well. So. I'd love to, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Like I said, I don't get to do these very often and, um, stoked that, uh, we got together and do this. Thank you. No, it was awesome to have you. Thank you very much. And, uh, for everybody else, tune in to the motocross. Oh, sorry. I did it again. The Moto X show. <laughs> yeah, Damn it. That's not good. <laughs> I just want to thank Doug for coming on again and opening up so much about his life in and out of freestyle motocross. Make sure you check out the Riders Lounge Instagram and Facebook pages because Doug has already sent me some footage of him jumping that huge jump at Manny's Place from Global Addiction. And as a matter of fact, just go and watch the movie. You'll find it somewhere. I've seen it on Amazon. Just go find Global Addiction. It's from 2002. But either way, I'll be putting up plenty of old FMX content from Doug over the years and I'll actually try and get some more photos and videos of the projects he's been involved in and put them up as well. Hopefully I won't be hit with any copyright problems. It should be fine. If you like what you've heard here and seen on the social media channels, it's all for free and it'd be absolutely awesome if you could follow and subscribe to it all. Also... Just tell your friends, let them know it's free. Share it with everyone. Get the word out there. And one of the main reasons I'm even able to do this is with the awesome support from the show sponsors with the German brewing giant Rothaus coming on board and believing in this cause. 
So thank you to them and their Tannen Zepfler range of beers, which I can personally tell you taste bloody amazing. The full-bodied beer and also the full-bodied alcohol-free beer are just what I needed to put this episode together on a piping hot summer's day here in Germany. And it probably sounds a little bit funny to say that, but the houses here in Germany aren't designed for hot weather at all, so my home studio feels more like a sauna, and there's nothing better than a cold tannin zapfler as I put these episodes together. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Writer's Lounge Podcast. 